Martin was a uh, brand new follower of Christ. And uh, shortly thereafter, he started feeling um, guilty of having embezzled some quite a bit of money from his employer. And after discussing uh, the situation with uh, some men that he trusted, who men of integrity, uh, he decided to do the right thing and confess his crime and hope for the best. Unfortunately, uh, the outcome fell closer to the worst. And um, Martin's company pressed charges against him, even though he admitted to his crime and uh, he agreed to repay all the money uh, Martin was sentenced to seven years in prison. Seven years for confessing and doing what was right. Now, some people would get mad at God. In fact, a lot of people would get mad at God. You know, God, I did the right thing, and here I'm ending up in prison. How come you didn't help me, God? You're not fair, God. Don't you care, God? But Martin says that he was never closer to God than he was in prison because it was during that time, he said, that his spiritual roots grew down very deep. In every letter that he wrote home and to friends during his prison stay, it was always signed, his grace is enough. His grace is enough. And they'd sign his name, Martin. This morning, I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know if you've come in here today with a lot of questions. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you feel like there is no God. But I can tell you that um, for whatever reason, whatever you're going through, um, following Martin's example, not running away from God, not not becoming bitter and angry at God, but instead allowing God's grace to be poured into you so that you can get through whatever you're going through to the other side. It takes God's grace to do that. Martin recognized it, and he recognized God's grace was being poured into him while he was in prison, and it kept his heart tipped towards God. And so today, as we continue in our series of Habakkuk, uh, a man who was called a prophet. And this prophet uh, had a lot of questions and doubts about God. And the reason why I've, and we've been in this now for five weeks, I've never taught on the book of Habakkuk in all the years I've uh, been involved in serving Christ. And so I have to tell you, it's, it's, it's worked in my life. It's, it's encouraged me. And I hope it's encouraging you from the standpoint that you may come from a background where you were told you could never question God. You just suck it up and do what's right. Because if you question God, man, bad things are going to happen to you. That's happened, you know, many times. And because of that, people have walked away from Christ, walked away from their faith. This book gives you and I permission to say, here's a prophet. He's, not, he's a prophet. He's a man of God. And he's throwing and dumping his doubts and his questions on God, and God just taking it. And the cool thing is God answers these questions and doubts that Habakkuk has. And so 
I just want to encourage you that, you know, if you're floating the idea, does God care? Does God, you know, is God fair? Is God there? Uh, you may fall into one of these three boxes this morning. You're going to realize that, yes, in fact, God is all those. He does care. He is fair. And he is there with you. That's, that's pretty cool. We, we kind of go through, uh, been going through the fact that Habakkuk was struggling with God. First of all, he was living in a nation, Judah, that they were picked by God to be God's people to model what a relationship with God looks like to the rest of the world. And God's people said, we don't want to do that, God. Because everybody else is worshiping these phony baloney gods and idols. So we want to be just like everybody else, God. And they snubbed their noses at God and walked away from him. And not just for a, a, a year or a decade, it went on for hundreds of years. And God kept sending people to say, hey, 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 wake up. Wake up. And he would... He would communicate his love and care for his people, but they just didn't want anything to do with God. And so here is Habakkuk living through this nightmare spiritually. And he's saying, God, where are you, man? Where are you, God? What's going on? Look at all these people that have walked away from you. And you're not doing anything. You're, you're letting them sin. You're letting them mock you, God. Why, why is this going on? So that was the first question. Pretty big question, isn't it? And then God comes along, he says, yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, Habakkuk, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with my people and my timing. Okay, God, what are you going to do? Well, Habakkuk, God decided to use the nation of Babylon to judge my people. So then that forced Habakkuk back into another question, like, God, are you kidding me? Do you? Don't you, don't you get cable news, Scott, that Babylon is, they're evil, they're corrupt, they're violent people. They destroy people, they torture people. They're, they're more evil than we are. God says, I know. I know. Now, that was a big question. So Habakkuk is just dealing with Wayne. What, what's all this about? And, and today we, we want to continue where we left off, Habakkuk 2.5. So on the back of your program, you have an outline, and that's specifically placed there just for you. It's got your name on it, and uh, it's giving you an opportunity to fill in the blanks and track. And by doing that, I believe that we say, God, I want you to talk to me through this talk. I want you to talk to me. And, and uh, if there's anything in my life, Lord, that's dishonoring to you, Lord, I, w- I want you to talk to me about it. Mm. So, verse 5, wealth, and this is God talking about Babylon. Wealth is treacherous. 
and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave, and like death they are never satisfied. And in their greed they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. And, and what God is saying is Babylon, is th- th- this is them. They're, they're evil. And Babylon never thought about God. They, I, I don't know if you ever think like this, but sometimes when I watch people, which I like to do, I ask myself, I wonder if they're thinking about God right now. Because God made them. And God has a plan for their lives. So, we go to Habakkuk and and you've already been encouraged to to put Habakkuk, his his photograph, on your refrigerator. You can Google it. And his face will come up. I have my fingers crossed, so no, that doesn't happen. But you can put his name on your refrigerator, and his name means Russell and what? Embrace. Because this man of this prophet, this man of God, learned to wrestle with God with his doubts and his questions, but he didn't walk away from God. He embraced God through the whole process because he knew this one thing that God would never push him away. And God would embrace him through the doubts and the questions. And that's what he's saying to you this morning as well. He's giving you permission to question and doubt him. But while you're doing that, he's embracing you. And he's saying, embrace me too. So number one, still in a tower. Habakkuk from chapter 2 verse 1 he made that decision, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Habakkuk was in that tower last Sunday and he's still there. You need to know. You need to know. And you notice where I'm pointing my finger. At nobody. (laughs) I'm pointing at that line right there. But you need to know that there is a battle every single day to keep you out of your watchtower. Life and everything that comes with it will, it's screaming at you to stay out of the watchtower because you don't have time. That God is angry at you. That God's ticked off at you. And if you listen to that voice long enough, you'll stay out of the watchtower, and that's the worst place you can be because it's tough for God to talk when you're not listening. And so just a reminder that Habakkuk hasn't gone anywhere. He's still in his watchtower. God started speaking to him last Sunday, and he's still talking to him today. And so, um, that leads us to number two. Because Habakkuk is, is still in the watchtower, number two, God keeps speaking. God's able to keep speaking because Habakkuk is still in the watchtower. And with that, 
as we, as we look at uh, the text this morning, and I want you to, we're going to read five verses, and, I, and we're going to do a little pop quiz on a Sunday morning. I know that's not, you know, that's not why you came to church. I didn't come here to go take a pop quiz, man. Well, listen, be at it, be it ease. It's, well, you're not going to get graded on it. All right? So let's, let's read verse 6. And we'll read these five verses, and I'm going to ask you what there's a common thread through all five verses. Okay? You ready? Everybody ready? Ready! Woo! Ready to go. Verse 6. But soon their captives will taunt them. God's talking about Babylon. The, the captives are going to do that. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? Verse 9. Let's roll down. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. Verse 12, what sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Verse 15, what sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. Verse 19, what sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? Is there a common thread through this? Huh? Yes or no? What, what is that common thread? Sorrow. That's right. That's right. What sorrow awaits you? That's, that's an interesting way of putting it, that God is, his judgment is on the way. If you read through the New Testament, you'll find in the red letter section when Jesus is speaking in the Gospels that he would say many times as a warning with those who have ears, you need to listen. You need to listen what's being said here because there's consequences for your decisions. You can't get away from it. You may think you're above it. You think you're the only one that's going to be able to do it. That's not true. There are consequences for your decisions. There's consequences for Judah, and there's consequences for Babylon. Judgment is coming. Number one, God marks one of the sins of Babylon and its selfish ambition. Verse 6, but... But soon your, their captives will taunt them. They will mock them, saying, What sorrow awaits you, thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You will become, you've become rich by extortion. But how much longer can this go on? How much longer can this go on? Um, I, I read, I've been reading, I, I'm reading through Psalm, and I'm in the 90s, and just a couple days ago I read Psalm 94, and I thought, man, boom, this hits Habakkuk too. You know, how long, Lord? Because Judah, uh, Habakkuk was saying about Judah, how long, Lord, are you going to let these people of yours get by with, with sinning against you? How long? 
Maybe you're in a situation and you're asking God to say, how long, God, am I going to be put in this stressful situation? How long, God? Well, in Psalm 94, too, arise, O judge of the earth, give the proud what they deserve. How long, O Lord, how long will the wicked be allowed to gloat? How long will they speak with arrogance? How long will these evil people boast? And he he goes on to talk about what they do. And in verse 7, the people are doing this because they say, the Lord isn't looking. Have you ever thought that? You know? God isn't looking. He's got seven and a half billion people that he's looking at right now. Me, I'm on, you know, I'm undercover. You ever think about that? God can't see what you're doing. And besides, the God of Israel doesn't care. Think again, you fools. When will you finally catch on? Is he deaf, the one who made your ears? Is he blind, the one who formed your eyes? No, no. He punishes the nations. Won't he also punish you? He knows everything. Doesn't he also know what you're doing? The the Lord knows people's thoughts, and he knows they're worthless. Now, uh, I came across this article last week about the 10 safest cities in the world. Is your city one of the safest? Yes or no? I hope so. (laughs) Well, let me put you at rest. There is not one American city that's on the top 10. That's pretty sad, I think. The second safest city in the world is Singapore. Let me tell you why. Violent crime... Theft, the level of police engagement is the lowest in the world in Singapore. If that doesn't make you feel safe, we don't know what will. (laughs) In fact, Singapore reported a 135-day completely crime-free streak in 2017. Pretty impressive. But let me tell you why that is. The small island nation has close to 100,000 surveillance cameras positioned around the city, keeping citizens honest and majorly deterring those who tempt to stray. Because of their super safe environment, Singaporeans really trust each other. It's not uncommon to see shops without windows, locks, or doors. Let me ask you, do you think 100,000 Surveillance cameras would keep you in line? Yes or no? It's an honest person right there. Why is it you can go to Singapore and people do not commit crimes because of surveillance cameras? And why is it followers of Jesus Christ sin blatantly and think God's not looking? Hmm? They, have, they have made God who's everywhere, who's holding the entire universe together by his word. They've shrunk him down to their size to think if I'm not in a specific place, I can't see what this person's doing. And so they think if I'm here, God can't see me. See, no, 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 that's not what the Bible says. God sees everything. And he sees the selfish ambition with 
Babylon. And I would hope, friends, that we do not need surveillance cameras on our life, but instead we have a loving Heavenly Father who sees everything we do, not because he wants to zap us, but because he loves us, because he cares about us. His eye is on the sparrow and his eye is on you because he loves. And so we see, um, uh, when I was a youth pastor down in the Chicago area, you know, we're talking about stealing and, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, selfish ambition and, you know, people, you know, you think, well, I didn't steal, uh, I didn't rob a bank, I didn't break into somebody's house. There's other ways we can steal, you know. We, we can steal from the government on our income tax. We can, we, we can pad our expense account at work. We can... We can. But there was a young man that was brought to the church by the police because he had come to our youth group and he had stolen from one of the stores at the mall just down the street. And so the police officer asked him in front of me, why, why, why did you do that? What caused you to do that? Because, because he came from a, a wealthy home. Doesn't make sense. And the reason he gave was, I want to get my dad's attention. And what he was saying was, Yeah, man, we, we got everything we need, but my dad doesn't notice me. He doesn't notice me. He doesn't talk to me. I'm trying to get his attention. Is that going on in your house? Are you paying attention? God's paying attention. He's paying attention to, to Babylon. He's paying attention to Judah. And he's paying attention to you and to me. And God's judgment, he says, you will lose it all. You will lose it all. Verse 7, suddenly your debtors will take actions. They will turn on you and take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. So Babylon, you think you're going to be a world power for a long time. No, no, it's not going to happen that way. There's judgment coming. Number two, arrogance. Um, verse 9, what sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. It, that's interesting. It, Especially today, you know, you look at the stock market and the 401ks and people are thinking, woo, 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 you know. My mind flashes back to the 1930s when Adolf Hitler came into power and they confiscated everybody's wealth. They just went and took it. It's gone. Generations that had passed it on to generation, they took it because they, des they thought they deserved it. Babylonians had the same mindset. They would just go in and confiscate wealth. And it's interesting in the text where it says, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger, um, th there's an arrogance here. And, and the symbolism from this verse, it's where it says, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger, it's a picture of an eagle's nest. 
And if you ever look at an eagle's nest, it's never where there's a high traffic area. It's always up, far away, right, in a safe place. Why? Because the mother eagle doesn't want her eaglets to get destroyed by a predator. So up, far away. That's the same picture that Babylon thought, we're putting our family's nest out of danger. We're able to, with all of our wealth, we're able to build high walls and wide walls around our city to keep predators away from us. There was an arrogance about it. And God was nailing them on it. And so, uh, God's judgment, you will forfeit your life. That's what God says. You, you think, man, you get, you're so cool, you're so high and mighty. Verse 10, but by the murders you committed... You have shamed your name and what? Forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. That's interesting, isn't it? That stones cry and beams echo. Yeah. When judgment comes, they, that's exactly what happens. They'll forfeit their lives. Number three, violence. Verse 12 what sorrow awaits you who built cities with money gained through murder and corruption? You see, that's exactly what Babylon was. They, they were murderous. They, they murdered. They were corrupt. The sin of violence that God is pinpointing in them. And you might say, you know what? I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not employed by the mafia. I don't kill anybody, you know, like the Babylonians. I, I, I'm a nice person. In fact, I'm kind of passive. Well, what's interesting here is uh, we have ways of murdering people through our words. We can defame someone through our words. We can murder them, their integrity, through our words. We can do that. It can happen at home where a husband physically, verbally abuses his wife. It can happen there. It can happen at work where we push down our colleagues so that we get elevated to the next promotion. You know. At school, we can defame our peer group so that we look cool and accepted. God's judgment, you will work for nothing. Verse 13, has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of the nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but it's all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea and the earth will be filled with the awareness of the glory of God. God is saying, listen, in the midst of this chaos from Babylon as they roll over nation over nation, God's presence is still floating around this world and planet, everywhere. In Babylon, man, they thought, yeah, man, we're, we're going to be a world power for a long time. They didn't even make it 100 years, and they were gone. You know, we think, oh, man, I got my whole life in front of me. Woo! You know? I was thinking about these young children right here. Boom. I was that small once. Where does the time go? Huh? Where does it go? I don't know. So, so you will work for nothing. That's what God says. Number four, partying. 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 Verse 15. Now, let me just 
hit this, God's not against partying, okay? Because every time someone puts their faith in Christ, the angels have a party in heaven, man. They celebrate big time. Yeah, they shoot fireworks off. They have ice cream cake and, and stuff like that, man. They just have a grand old time, man. God is not a God who's old fat, you know, oh, you can't smile, you can't, oh, you can't have fun. No, that's not God. Let me tell you something. When we get to heaven, there is going to be some awesome celebrations. A quick footnote, the prodigal son, when he came home, what does his father do? Let's pull the curtains down. Let's all be sad. Is that what he did? No, man. They had a party. They had a party. They killed the calf. They went to Dairy Queen and got the ice cream cake. They had a party. That is a picture of God's heart. So don't, don't go off and say, oh, God, he doesn't want me to have any fun. Followers of Jesus Christ should have the most fun because they remember what they do. What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. What's the sorrow here? God is saying alcohol has a way of taking advantage of other people. That's what he's saying in order to gain pleasure for yourself. And a specific example is given when somebody gets drunk. You can take advantage of them because they lose all perspective. Right? Yeah, that takes place today. It takes place today. I think of Matthew 24, 37. It says, when the Son of Man returns, what does that mean? That means that the Son of Man is going to return. Right? Is that clear enough? Pretty clear. He's coming back. It will be like it was in Noah's days. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat, but people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. He's coming. So in other words, people are going to party. They're going to, they're going to lose control. You know, Hey, man, there's so much stress all around. I got a, I got a party, you know. And, and um, um, God is going to judge that. He says, you will be shamed. Um, Tony Dungy, uh, many of you would know him. He's on Channel 5 on Sunday nights. For Sunday night football, and he coached Tampa Bay and Indianapolis Colts. But he's he's very vocal about his faith in Christ, and he's taken a lot of heat because of it. And he says this: He says, "What I do mind is our society's inability to see alcohol for what it is truly. It is a drug." We have rightly, I think, strongly warned our children about tobacco and illegal drugs, but I'm, I am concerned about what sometimes tends to be a look-the-other-way relationship with alcohol. 
So how does your consumption of alcohol affect your kids' future behaviors when they are placed in a situation where alcohol is present? We don't allow anyone to drink who is under the age of 21, which I completely agree with. The unintended consequences of that law, however, is unfortunate. Because they can't drink legally until 21, many young people now view that the 21st birthday drink as a rite of passage into adulthood. The law seems to have made drinking more attractive because it is forbidden until then. As I have reflected, Tony says, on my father's influence in my life, one of the things I am most grateful for is that he chose not to drink any alcohol. But his abstinence was a powerful example for me. Maybe even more than he realized at the time. Whether in high school or college, wherever I found myself in a situation in which everybody was drinking, I always thought of my dad because someone that I respected so highly had chosen to not drink. I could make the same choice with confidence. Kids imitate their father's behaviors, and therefore I encourage fathers to be careful with alcohol and don't get near anything that's mind-altering. It's just not worth being part of the crowd in that way. And the downside may be far worse than the upside could ever be for you and your sons. I think that's a good word right there. I echo that with Tony Dungy. Because nothing good comes from alcohol, friend. We had a drug seminar in the cafe about two years ago. And we had a recovering heroin addict. And we had a police detective. And we had a high school counselor. And we had other counselors that came in. And they said the number one drug problem in the state of Wisconsin is alcohol. And nobody's talking about it. And God is nailing a culture in Babylon where they would get people drunk to take advantage of them. And he's saying it's not right. See? It's not right. And he says, you will be shamed. Verse 16, but soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment. And all your glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forests of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals, so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. God says, Babylon, you will be filled with shame and disgrace. You will. And finally, the last sorrow, number five, idolatry, verse 18. What good is an idol carved by man or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. <laughs> uh, you know what's interesting here is is you know, Habakkuk dealt with idolatry in chapter 1, verse 11, chapter 1, verse 16, talking about all the idols. 
And we might be sitting here today thinking, idolatry, that, that, are you kidding me? We're in America. We don't have any idolatry here. Hmm. Well, anytime you trust something other than God to direct your life is idolatry. There was a friend of a pastor who went to a remote, impoverished village in India, and uh, there he saw a woman sacrificing a chicken as an act of worship to her idol, to her God. And he was really shocked by that blatant modern-day idolatry he saw, and after she got finished, he went up and introduced himself and, you know, said, you know, what, what's this all about? And well, anyway, through the conversation, he found out that this woman had gone to New York City three years earlier, and so he asked her what she thought about America, and she said, I hated it. What do you mean? Well, I've never seen more idolatry anywhere in my entire life, she said. See, there's three areas that really got my attention. One, Americans worship their stomachs. She said, I, I don't get it. You've got massive food stores, and people have already eaten too much to begin with. He said, in my village, so many people go hungry. Second, Americans worship television. From her perspective, she saw Americans designing homes around the television. They take, it takes the most prominent place in the most prominent room. And the furniture is set up not for conversation, but to watch television. And third, she said, the worst form of idolatry I saw was in the relationship people had with these. So men, they can't even put it down when they're driving their cars. I can't tell you how many times I was having a conversation with an American and they couldn't even look me in the eye. They always they were tapping their phone for stuff. What's wrong with us? Do you know that 80% of what people do on social media pertains to themselves? It's all about me. Huh? Is that idolatry? Hmm. Danny Bauman, he's a British teenager, says he became so obsessed with trying to capture just the right selfie that he ended up shooting 200 pictures a day to try to find the right picture that he could relate to the most about himself. And he wasn't able to. He says, I end up spending about 10 hours a day taking selfies. Very productive. It's very productive. And so the question is, idolatry, what is taking, how much, how often do you think, I got to see what people think about what I said. Or what they think about me. Huh? How many times a day do you do that? How many times a day do you think about what God thinks about you? Huh? Because if this is getting in the way of your relationship with God, if God's become somewhere down the street in my phone, man, I put it in my pocket or I put it in my purse, I could never leave it alone. It's idolatry, man. So I would recommend doing something about it. Because God says you will be disappointed. 
Verse 18, what good is an idol carved by man or cast an image that deceives you? What good is it? You know, what good is it? And finally, number three, God is with me, verse 20, but the Lord, and, and here's the cool thing about having a, a hardback Bible, get your pen out and underline, but the Lord. When Babylon is running you over and, and life is not making sense, underline, but the Lord. That's another good phrase to put on your fridge, man, but the Lord. Life is not making sense, but the Lord is with me. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. The word silent there means hush before him. Now that doesn't mean, some people take that literally to mean you can't say anything in church, you know. That's not what that means. That means being quiet before God so that he can talk to you. You have to, you have to create those moments in time in your schedule. You need to go to the watchtower and be silent before him. Because in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? Lives in you. He's in me. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Man. And... Don't you realize, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. He lives in you. Yeah, see, right now, man, that heart inside should be jumping up and down. God lives in me. He lives in me. He's with me. Right? And three great assurances from here that, that Habakkuk put in, in the midst of the judgment against Babylon, God's grace, number one, verse four. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. Their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. It's all God's grace. That's what it is. Number two, God's presence, verse 14. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. God's presence, even in the midst, Babylon's running over everything, God's presence is still here. And third, God's in me, verse 20, but the Lord is in his temple. But the Lord is in his temple. This morning, as we look at these five areas of Babylon, can you identify with any of them? What is God saying to you this morning? If there's an area in your life that's preventing God from being all that he needs to be in your life, let him, let him speak. Let him forgive. Let him restore. And Father, we thank you today for your presence here. And thank you, Lord, that... You are not surprised on what's going on in this world. This world is simply giving birth pains to the day, waiting for the day when you come again. Because this world's broken. When sin came into this world all the way back in the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect world, but one sin 
corrupted the entire planet. And so, Lord, here we are living with the results of that one sin. And we're so prone to wander, just like Judah did, Lord. Help us today. to allow you to speak to us and allow you to work in and through us. So today, Lord, each person in this room, you created, you made. You're breathing life into them right now to keep them alive. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of this moment, allowing you to work in our lives for your honor. But the Lord, the Lord, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.